he said uh, 18,000 kids are going to die today from starvation. And I'm a numbers person. That, that, that just spoke to me. And it, and it really kind of changed the whole trajectory of Ash and I's life. That's when Tom's Shoes was really popular. You know, having never worked in a restaurant before, I thought, man, if, if a shoe company can donate, you know, do this one for one thing, why can't a restaurant do that? Today's guest is the co-founder of a 21-location, fast-growing chain whose mission is to end world hunger. So doing good by doing good is their main operating philosophy. Can't wait to introduce this guest to you. In addition to that, we'll be talking all about the vibe and what makes a really powerful brand that uh, continues to grow, in addition to operating challenges that we all face each day. Stay with us. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Rockstars, your team are the foundation of your business. And every shift, they're leaving impressions with your guests in your restaurant. Now, every impression counts, and they have to be positive. Training is the key and absolutely essential to providing what I call amazing dining experiences. But effective training takes time and commitment if you had to do it yourself. Well, imagine a staff training tool that's completely customized to your restaurant brand and restaurant. It teaches your entire menu and what makes your restaurant brand special. Then it trains your team, your entire team, to sell because sales are the lifeblood of your business. Now, it's also important to recognize rising talent in your organization. This tool also trains future stars to become leaders that can run your business for you. I call that an exit strategy. Now, this tool is called Serve. Now, learn more at srvnow.com. That's srvnow.com. Check it out. Not answering your phone is one of the quickest ways for your restaurant to lose a potential customer. But between serving in-person customers and dealing with the kitchen, it's hard for staff to prioritize incoming calls. That's why your restaurant needs pop menu answering. Simple questions that keep your phone line tied up can be handled without pulling a staff person from your in-person hospitality. Reclaim the power of your phone. Pop Menu Answering is powered by artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions most people call in with, like, do you have outdoor seating or what are your hours? Within the Pop Menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, plus create customized greetings. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone 24-7, 365 days a year, turning every phone call into an opportunity. Plus, Pop Menu's full collection of tools helps optimize your restaurant's website and menu, streamlines your ordering experience, and assists in retargeting to enable you to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. Get help answering your restaurant's calls now with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast, and I am particularly inspired by today's guest. Mr. Austin Samuelson is the co-founder of a company called Tacos for Life, and it's a fast-growing company. But they've got a specific mission, and there's so much bad going on in this world today. And just turning on the news is just so sad. And, you know, Austin and his wife Ashton's mission is really to end world hunger. So, welcome to the show, Austin. I'm really glad to have you here today. 
Yeah, thanks for having me on, Roger. I'm truly honored. Well, you know, we talked about this a few minutes ago, but the restaurant business, of course, is super challenging. And and from what you told me, you really didn't have any relevant restaurant experience, but you had an idea and you have a mission in mind. And I want to know all about the mission and the statistics and the problem that you see and the problem that you saw and how you're making a difference and really, you know, what your end goal is with Tacos for Life. And then we'll talk about starting a company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think, you know, your question of uh, what what relevant restaurant experience did you have or what brought you into this? And if you would have asked me 15 years ago, would you know I be where I am today uh, working in this industry? I would have said, no, probably not. And that's, that's not because I didn't want to. Uh, we just, uh, growing up, I, I grew up in the country and we worked on, on the farm and worked construction. And that's, that's what we did, you know? And uh, for uh, my wife's name is Ashton. For both of us, uh, she hadn't worked. Uh, she never worked in a restaurant either. And uh, really, it all started because of uh, back in 2009, uh, we heard a statistic um, at that time. The, the, the number is different now, thank goodness. But at that time, 18,000 children died every day from starvation and malnutrition. And, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm from Arkansas. At that, that point in our lives, we were both living in, in Los Angeles. And, um, and you knew hunger was a problem, right? It's a hunger here. Uh, hunger is a problem here in Arkansas. Living in Los Angeles, there's a, a large homeless population uh, that we're aware of and that we uh, did some volunteering to serve. Um, but for whatever reason, we heard that that statistic. We we're at church and uh, the guy that was sharing that was from World Vision. And he said, uh, 18,000 kids are going to die today from starvation. And I'm a numbers person. And uh, that just that, that, that just spoke to me. And it, and it really kind of changed the whole trajectory of Ash and I's life. Um, but he said two other things as well. He said, um, he said, you know, it's 18,000 kids, but our planet produces enough food to feed everybody. It's a distribution problem. And the third point that he said was, it's really a caring problem. And he, and he said, we're in a church setting, okay? But he said, you know, hey, gosh, if, if people had just even went to church here in America, if, if we would all do something about this, this could be a solved problem, you know? But it's a matter of, do we care enough? Do we love enough? And, um, and that really, that really spoke to me and it spoke to Ashton as well at the same time. And, um, that really started our journey. Uh, we didn't leave there thinking, Hey, let's, let's start a restaurant. Um, it, it didn't go straight into that, but over the course of uh, a couple of years, we kept, uh, kept, we, we kept learning, doing research, trying to understand what was going on. And all at the same time, we just felt this tug, uh, to do something more to, to be, uh, you know, a part of trying to help feed kids and um, it really all kind of went to this uh, breaking point a couple of years later. And, and I remember thinking, I'm like, man, I, I just want to do something more. I want, I want there to be something more. And um, that's when Tom's Shoes was really popular. Yes. Um, I'm you familiar know, so with they, that brand. Uh, and they were know, giving yeah, shoes so, away. Yeah. For every yeah, pair yeah, they every sold, they gave. Buy. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly, uh -huh. Roger. So, yeah. So, um, so. Okay, so we back up and, and again say reiterate the fact I'd never worked in a restaurant, no no knowledge of the industry at all, except I just love to eat. I, I do love to eat, you know, and 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 so does Ash, and she's a phenomenal cook. But um, you know, having never worked in a restaurant before, I thought, man, if if a shoe company can donate, you know, do this one for one thing, why can't a restaurant do that? You know, and um, and that's really where this whole journey for Ashton and I started with with the restaurant. We, uh, I shared that idea with her and, uh, 
she was like, yeah, we should do that someday and, and do some crazy life events. We ended up uh, uh, opening our first restaurant. It was a pizza restaurant in uh, 2011. And uh, with that model, we donated a meal for every meal we sold. And, uh, and then that eventually led to us starting Tacos for Life. And uh, uh, we started Tacos for Life in 2014. And with the whole uh, idea that we believe we can help be a part of any starvation. So every taco, salad, rice bowl, quesadilla we sell, we donate a meal uh, to feed a child. That's such a beautiful story. I mean, again, this is what mostly inspired me. I'm I'm fascinated by your business model, of course, but really the giving back piece is, is like you said, it's not done enough. And if more people and if more companies got involved, not just in this country, but around the world, it is a very solvable problem and quicker than you might think. So that, that per se is beautiful. Um, let me ask you a question. You mentioned a pizza restaurant. Did you decide yeah. not to stay in pizza? Because it sounds like it was successful. You were able to donate money to this cause and you decided to pivot from pizza to tacos because. Yes. Uh, well, tell me. so yeah. So we, we learned probably, and this is one of the first pieces of advice if anybody asks, and, and we, we certainly um, uh, could tell you all the things not to do, right? Having never worked in a restaurant, opening one. But, you know, with the pizza restaurant, it was just, it was kind of our, our, our minimal viable product. You know, what's the, what's the lowest threshold to get in so that we could start this mission? And um, we spent all of our time, you know, clarifying how we we're going to give the meals. We work with a phenomenal organization, Feed My Serving Children, and um, just getting the restaurant built. And, um, you know, we went to six banks and six banks said no. And that's a whole nother story. But, I mean, we did it all by hand, you know. And, um, but at the end of the day, quite honestly, Roger, um, you know, we really tried to lean on the, the mission and hope that the food could kind of keep up, you know, mm-hmm. and in the reality of it, the food was okay. And, and that's one of the things that we really learned. So, so pizza for two people, uh, you know, here in Conway, that's, that's where we were, uh, where pizza for two was and where we're based out of Conway, Arkansas, you know, people still come up and say, man, I, I loved your restaurant. I was like, you loved it, but you didn't eat there, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and that was the reality. They loved the mission. They loved the idea of it. Um, but they didn't crave the food. And, um, and ultimately it, 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 we, it was a restaurant that didn't make it, you know? Um, but, uh, but God used that in some incredible ways. And I think we always learn best from our failures, you know, and that's what really led us into tacos for life. So. Let's talk about um, Feed My Starving Children. Now, that's a nonprofit organization. And you, what's the nature of your relationship and how do they sort of work cohesively with you? Or you are just donating sales on an annual basis, a percentage of sales to obviously this, this nonprofit, or you're, you're more deeply involved in that, I'm sure. So tell us about that. Yeah. So we've been working with them since day one, since the pizza restaurant. Uh-huh. And they're a phenomenal organization based out of Minneapolis. Uh, they work in over 70 countries around the world and and they work to distribute the scientifically formulated meal packs. Okay. So it's, uh, it's rice, it's a rice based meal with soy protein, dehydrated veggies and a vitamin mix. And it's really designed in such a way where if it was the only meal that a child got in a day, it would have the proper nutrients to sustain them and help for proper development, particularly for their brain, you know, cause that's a yeah, such an right. important thing. If you're malnourished, you know, in mm-hmm. those early years, uh, for development, but, um, but they're phenomenal. Great, great organization, uh, 90 cents on the dollar, uh, that you send them goes to feeding, you know, and, uh, they work all over the world. So our relationship with them though, is is pretty simple. We just send them every Monday. We send them, uh, you know, a check, um, 
and uh, for the amount of meals. So we keep track of how many uh, tacos, salads, rice bowls, quesadillas we sell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then they get a deposit in their account of, you know, equivalent. It takes 24 cents is all it takes, 24 yes. cents to provide yep. a meal. So that's amazing. Uh, so it's, it's really that simple. And it's a good meal. It tastes good and it's nutritious. It's, it's, it, it is so important because in so many of these places that it's going where, I mean, literally lives are at stake. Um, you know, if you do get a hold of something, you might just get, you know, rice or you might get, you know, corn, you know, pops in Africa. Um, but the, it doesn't have the vitamins. It doesn't have all the, the protein in it and all that stuff that you need. Uh, it's really help a child develop. And so this is a, it's such a good, good meal. Uh, Feed My Starving Children is a phenomenal uh, partner and really helped make this thing possible. I'm really glad you're sharing that. Can you also share perhaps some statistics of the results that you've achieved through your company, maybe on an annual basis of what giving that you've uh, obviously provided to the organization and how many many children you fed, perhaps? Uh, Just curious. I mean, this is all relevant to me. Well, and I'm always blown away about this and Mm -hmm. and it's just a a miracle, but yeah, we're, we've raised over 23 million meals now in, uh, in the time with tacos for life. And so we're coming up on our eight year birthday and it's just absolutely incredible. And, uh, the cool thing is, you know, each restaurant we open. So, well, we like to say it this way, because, uh, with our, with franchising, um, you know, every three restaurants provides a million meals a year, basically, you know I mean? So you, you kind of put that in perspective, um, Mm -hmm. a million meals, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a million lives being touched and, and, uh, kids and families being cared for and needs being met, which is just phenomenal. So today, uh, from what I understand and what I'm, you know, hearing, uh, you know, pre COVID, uh, that, that number was no longer 18,000 kids that perish, uh, from starvation. Uh, the number had dropped, uh, to 6,200 range is the number that you'd hear most commonly used. Um, still almost unacceptable, a third, almost a third. But yeah. yeah. So, and of course wow. we, you know, Tacos for Life is like a, a pebble in the whole, you know, ocean of this, you know, good that's going on, but uh, it's incredible. COVID probably is going to upset that a little bit. And of course, what's going on in Ukraine and, and Russia is going to upset yes. that with uh, how that's going to affect their, the wheat harvest and that sort of stuff. But, um, but there's a, there's a need. And that's the thing though, that I just, we try to tell our team members and our guests all the time is like, Guys, this is so solvable and it yeah. only takes 24 cents, you know. Well, you're a really humble guy, but I certainly wouldn't downplay that. If I said that, or if I knew that my organization could impact a million meals, you know, just with regularity, it's like you are making a yeah. huge impact throughout there. And obviously, it's something to be very proud of. It's extremely noble. Um, the cause is beautiful because, you know, I have kids and, and kids are very, very important. Obviously, they're my favorite charities, of course. Um, wow. So, OK, that's tremendous. Let's shift gears a little. Let's talk about what it was like starting your first restaurant. Let's talk about the pizza place. What challenges? Okay. Uh, not knowing. OK, so you and I have a lot of similarities. My audience knows my very first business was a pizzeria 27 years ago. I had absolutely no restaurant experience. I had an idea, crazy idea. I got into the business and it's like I made the same mistakes that a lot of owners made. And then I started to put systems in place and figure out how to make money. But we all have the bumps in the road and the challenges. Tell us about your journey to starting the first restaurant, what that was like. And then tell us, let's transition into Tacos for Life, you know, um, how long you were in your first store before you then started a, you know, 
I'm also curious about company-owned stores versus franchise locations, and the whole franchising process could be daunting, of course, but you've been through all of this. So, I mean, that's a, that's a mouthful and a lot to talk about, but take us from the beginning and just take us through your restaurant journey. Yeah. The audience would love to hear it. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, like I said, we started with the pizza restaurant and uh, just had no idea where to even begin, you know? And so uh-huh. we, uh, I, I just picked up the phone and started calling people and, uh, you know, just, there's just been so many incredible people in our path, um, that is, that have offered advice or nuggets. And so started getting advice and learning here and there. And, um, and, and we, we went to six banks, like we talked about, and, and they all said no. And then the other thing, Roger, you know, we had no idea how to cook a pizza in a commercial oven, you know? And so we, uh, we bought our first pizza oven. We actually bought it. We moved in with my parents. Um, we were living in their basement and we, uh, we bought the pizza oven and set it up down there. got a three phase converter so we could run the oven, you know, and, uh, and practice making pizzas in the basement. We smelled like pizza all the time. Ashton was teaching school and she was teaching third graders and a couple times a week, at least the kids would come up to her and be like, Miss Sam, you smell like pizza. And she's like, yeah, <laughs> I've been around That's a lot awesome. of pizza lately. That's awesome. <laughs> so, and it. you, uh, and you know that smell, right? You'll never oh, yeah. forget it. Um, oh, absolutely. It's a oh, very sure. distinct, uh, it's a great, uh, smell from pizza restaurant, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so we just, man, it was, it was kind of one of those things where I remember we had a, we had this whiteboard. I, I went and bought a used whiteboard that was eight feet long and, and we just wrote every, every to do. And it was like, you eat the elephant one bite at a time. And, uh, and it was just incredible uh, how God provided along the way. And we just kept putting one foot in front of the other. We, we never did get bank funding on the first one or the second one. Um, but, you know, we, uh, we, 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 <laughs> we talked to family and friends and, and we got help, you know. So you and it self-funded was, it was your incredible. first restaurant then? We, we self-funded and then we did all the work ourselves. Like we yeah. built, we built huh. all the booths. We did all the build out of the, the building, all the construction, you know everything we could to, to save money and just to get a, get us up off the, uh, uh, off the ropes. And, uh, nice. and, and it was good. And, um, but yeah, we, uh, pizza for two, we opened it in September of 2011 and we converted it to a tacos for life. So it, it ended up being tacos for life. Number two, uh, we made that conversion in 2015. So it, we never really, we never could get it profitable. And, um, so we, we really struggled and, and, uh, that was a very tough decision, uh, to kind of, you know, basically face the reality of, you know, we gave it our best shot, but, um, but it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't what the plan was. It wasn't meant to be, but you had a bigger plan in mind. It sounds like God had a bigger plan in mind for you. (laughs) And then the taco thing. So where did the idea for the tacos for life come in and the name and all of that? I mean, did you just sort of, how, I mean, obviously you're in the South and obviously Mexican food is popular in certain Southern states. It's popular everywhere really, but tell us where that came from. Oh yeah, we we love Mexican food, and we lived in California for a time. Ash and I right. did, and Los loved. Oh man, uh, great, uh, great Mexican food there as well. And yeah, for sure. So we always joked about if we did another restaurant concept, mm-hmm. it would it'd have to be tacos. Like that's oh, gotcha. tacos are really our favorite, you know, food group. Uh, mm-hmm. We felt like pizza was easier. That's that's why we chose that route. You know, initially we were very overwhelmed with trying to you know do all that needed to be done for tacos. And yeah, um, but the funny story is, Roger, we. Uh, it's two different people in the same week, you know, it's funny how people intersect our lives. Right. And, uh, and, and say things and it's like, Oh, there might be some truth to this, but two people, friends of mine, still friends, they're still friends. Okay. They, uh, they both told Ash and I, they said, you know, 
we really love this mission of uh, getting to help feed kids. And every time we buy a meal, we get to donate them. We love that. That's incredible. The only thing is, if you had a different type of food, we might uh, be able to support the mission more. <laughs> so, like, you know, I think they're telling us, hey, you know, we love it, but your food's not that great, you know? And, um, and two different friends, unconnected, you know, kind of said that at the same time. And that really started Ash and I on this journey of thinking, okay, there's a need. We feel like people, um, they want to be able to be a part of the solution. Having it in a restaurant format gives them that opportunity. Now we need to do our part and try to figure out, okay, let's create a menu that, that people will love. And that started, uh, started in 2012, 2013 timeframe, us working on that. And man, we, Ashton, uh, she, she has no culinary training or anything, but she has a phenomenal palate, amazing cook, just all self-taught, but she's also very humble. And we were really blessed. Our, our food provider here in Arkansas is Benny Keith Foods. And they have a test kitchen and they have a, uh, a chef on staff. And we would just go down there once a week and we'd spend a, you know, three quarters of a day there in their kitchen with Shane and Ashton and me. And we'd just be cooking and eating and, and sales reps would walk in and uh, they'd bring stuff up from the warehouse. And it was just this collaborative experience of I us know that all experience. brainstorming, you know, yep. hey, what Absolutely. should the next menu be like? And it nice. was it was such a fun thing. Get big flavor without the labor with Smoking Fast from Smithfield. It's fully cooked or smoked proteins, including American barbecue staples and global flavors. Everything from ribs to pulled chicken to brisket and barbacoa, all are authentically slow cooked to perfection. It's so delicious your guests will never know it wasn't smoked right in your own kitchen. Now you can add barbecue to your menu without adding a pitmaster to your payroll. Visit smithfieldculinary.com. Uh, but that's that's really what what led us in, in and really it was kind of all on this basis of like, okay, we got the mission. Let's create each menu item needs to have this craveable factor to it. You know, this you take a bite and you can't wait till that next bite. You finish eating with us and and you can't wait for the next time that you get to eat with us again. So that's really where um, the, the the inspiration for Tacos for Life came from was that. That's fantastic. All right, let's keep this going. So how long, well, obviously you learned from your mistakes and learned obviously what you needed to do to put the framework in place and the initial systems to get Tacos for Life off the ground. And now that's worked, that has worked much better. And then you started to expand. Tell us, you know, how long it took before you started to expand to other locations and then where did the franchising thing come in? Yeah. So a little bit like what you mentioned, Roger, I, I'm a systems guy. I like systems. I like, I like the, the thought of, you know, building out structure. And, um, you know, I remember reading the e-myth back in the very early days of the pizza restaurant. And it was mm -hmm. like, this is, yeah. this is me. This is exactly it. And so I never was the, the technician, you know, of like, I just want to be in the restaurant, just getting lost. And that, that's Ashton. She's Ashton's really the restaurateur. I mean, she's, She's phenomenal, loves the team, loves the guests. I love all those things too. But I mean, she could spend every single day there and just be totally fulfilled. I, I, I like to build and I like process and structure. And so in the back of my mind, that was part of part of my thinking with this was if God gives us the opportunity, you know, we we land on something that people like and there's an opportunity to grow. I want to be set up to try to grow. And so we I remember the first day we opened the taco restaurant, Tacos for Life. And and 
at the end of the day, we closed and we had done more business than we ever imagined doing. And there's a line out the door the whole day. It was raining. And I remember looking at Ashton and our manager and I was like, okay, we're going to open a second one of these. And we immediately started work on, uh, on location, uh, ended up being location number three in Fayetteville, Arkansas. But, um, but that was, that was kind of that moment we, we raised, I I wanted, I need to go look up the exact number, but it was like 1100 mils that we raised in that first day. And I remember, uh, at the pizza restaurant, it was like 200 mils we're raising a day, you know, to kind of put that in perspective. And and so it's like, okay, uh, Mm -hmm. a, we can raise a whole lot more mills. B, I think there's something that the guest wants here and then C, I think there's a viable business that we have. And so we really, um, we started working um, just right out of the gate on trying to lay in the processes and the structure and trying to figure out how to grow strategically. And and really the game plan was coming out uh, within the first few years is we wanted to grow throughout Arkansas. And, um, and we, we started working on that plan. And, and uh, like I mentioned earlier, we ended up converting uh, the pizza restaurant into a tacos for life. And that, that was location number two, and then went to Fayetteville and then down uh, back down here to Little Rock and, uh, just growing through company restaurants throughout the state mm-hmm. and and really trying to refine the systems and trying to make it not dependent on one individual, but instead on a process. And uh, we're still working on that today, but really went down that path for, for quite a while. And, uh, and in 2017, we uh, got approached by an individual that wanted to franchise. And, you know, I, I wasn't too excited about franchising, wasn't sure if that's really the route, you know, read a little bit and um, talked to some folks about it, but it didn't seem like that was us. But I, I kind of reluctantly, you know, we, we kind of reluctantly went down the path with the person. And um, and then we we ended up, okay, there's something to this. We, we like this. As we got into it, figured out what we needed to do to create the franchise disclosure document and, and go through all that work. Um, it's like, okay, this is, this is right up, this is right up our alley. It really speaks to, um, how we can uh, really support the mission well. So we started on that in 2017. And, and really though, for us, Roger, we we went down that path and we franchised, uh, let's see, four restaurants pretty quickly, I, I'd say within a couple of years. And then we pressed pause. And, and we kind of let, we let everything simmer down, even on the corporate side. And um, we said, okay, who do we want to be when we grew up? And, and that was like 2019 to into mid 2020. And of course, the whole world changed. But but in that time, it, it was we, we really we got to watch the system, got to watch uh, our restaurants versus franchise restaurants, and and say, okay, what's going to be the most effective vehicle to feed the most kids? What's going to provide the best uh, product, you know, for folks? And uh, and and what what works for us as an organization? What what fits our DNA more closely? And really, that franchising route really rose to the top very quickly. And uh, and we 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 pressed pause on it. We had our we had you know four or five franchise locations out there. We pressed pause, and then we really started that back up uh, late 2020. Uh, started back down the franchising path again, and and have been on that path ever since. Let me clarify something. Um, timing is everything in life, as yeah. you know. And you obviously you said you're a structured guy, you're a numbers guy, you're a systems guy. All those things are dialed. You know, 
there's a right time to jump into something and franchises will only work if the home store model is totally dialed so that it can be easily duplicated by those that haven't run a franchise before. I mean, maybe you're looking for people with business experience, restaurant business, maybe other business experience, maybe, I don't know. But it's like, besides just the franchise disclosure document, you need a whole framework and a template for how to duplicate a business without changing anything that's standardized across the board, and then train these people how to run a Tacos for Life. So when I say timing is everything, would you say when you took on that first franchisee, you were ready to franchise or there were some bumps in the road, a lot of learning curves there, and now that things are smoothed out? you can move forward because our audience, you know, may have very winning independent concepts and they may have always wondered, geez, should I franchise or is that a new way to grow? And obviously there's an investment in time, investment in money, there's legal fees, there's endless amounts of work to put the framework in place, not to run the restaurant necessarily, but to create the franchise itself. How is that process like for you? And was the timing right? And were there huge challenges or did did it go pretty much as you thought it would? And, you know, the guy upstairs was in your corner and things were just working out, you know, <laughs> tell us about yeah. it. It's an incredible you know, journey that, that you're on and that you've been through. And there's so much learning there for our audience. If they want to expand their business, whether they franchise or they just open other locations, consistency is key and, and providing a, a high level of service, customer service and great food and your whole mission is to create raving fans for your business, which I'm hearing you've done. I mean, you had lines out the door. People love the food. It's like, that's the best form of marketing. It takes a lot of work to do what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think to answer your question, Roger, I, I think on one hand, you could say, yeah, we probably were a little premature because we didn't have all the processes dialed in. And even you know, we were still so new on our restaurants. We were still riding, I, I think, a honeymoon wave even on our, our first restaurant here in Arkansas, it was new, it was, it was hot. Um, and we hadn't had to go through any challenging times, you know? And I think, uh, I think as a franchisor, um, being able to having walked through some peaks and valleys, you know, and, and learned, okay, this is what we do when sales go down a little bit. This is how we correct that. This is what we do when labor rises or when food costs go. And of course we're learning all those lessons right now. Right. Uh-huh. Of course. But, um, but having Absolutely. walked through some of that um, mm. before we had jumped in, we would have probably been able to serve our first franchisees a little bit better, you know. And now two of them are out of the system. You know, we bought we bought one of them out. One of them closed his restaurant, and um, and and you never want that to happen. So I think I think to have avoided that, you could have we could have said, you know, hey, let's uh, let's let's learn a little bit more of who we are. But I also say that, and if I was listening to this podcast right now, I wouldn't have listened to that advice myself because I'm always a jump out of the plane and see if I have my parachute on correctly, awesome. you know, awesome. or if I even have one. So, Excellent. you know, I mean, what, what can you say? But, but I think that that whole that whole it. thing you're talking about is who you are as a brand. What yeah. what kind of franchisee do you need? You know, because that's the whole other thing too is really understanding the profile of the individual that will make a a really successful franchisee is so important as well. So it is, it is for sure. So let's talk about what makes your brand unique and why besides the mission, obviously that, that 
that is ever present. The mission drives a lot of people to become customers. They buy into that mission. They want to help. It's like the children dying. It's like the sad stories of making the world a better place is on a lot of people's minds. So I think that's a beautiful part of your business model. That's not why it's part of your business. Well, it is. It's the reason for being in a good way is, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Yeah. But besides that, if you were to separate the mission of the company, what makes the business, the restaurant itself work? Why is it successful? What's the secret sauce of tacos for life? Yeah, I think it's a few things. Um, like I mentioned earlier with the food, we, we work really hard on the food. It's one of our key mm-hmm. strategic anchors is um, we, we say our food has to be amazing. Okay. It's got to be craveable. It's got to be packed full of flavor. Um, and, and really the whole desire is, you know, we test things when we go into the restaurant and, uh, we try a new, uh, you know, a new menu item. If it doesn't have this craveability factor to it, it, it can't, it can't stay on our menu. Great. So awesome. that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing too, that we really, really rely very heavily on is our team, you know, that we have a phenomenal team and we have a, a, a group of folks that, they are here because uh, a they need a job, but b they understand the difference that they're getting to make with our mission. But then c we have fun doing it. It's a we have we have great restaurants. They're 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 good environments. You know, they're environments that you'd want your kids to go work at, and um, that that you'd feel safe about them being in. You know, and um, and I think that translates over to the guest. And we don't always do that right. Of course, there's times when when the food gets messed up or the service side gets messed up. But when that authenticity transfers over to the guests from the team, uh, it's a winning combination. And then the guest understands the mission because Definitely. now, uh, you know, especially with us going into so many new markets, a lot of people, they might try our food first and, and not know about the mission until they're standing there at the register or they've looked around and like, hey, why is there a, a meal counter, you know, behind you or whatever it may be. So. Um, so I think oh, those, does it those count things. down? Like you've got some sort of a yeah. counter in, in your locations that say we've served. Some, well, what does it say? Yeah. Tell us about that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It says it's, uh, it, there's <laughs> on the, the top number is how many mills we've raised as a company. So over yeah. 23 million and it's awesome. updating every few minutes. And That's then the bottom excellent. one is specific to that location. So it's, it is so cool. Restaurant owners and managers, I call this the business of a thousand details, and you've got more important things to worry about than calculating and paying your monthly sales tax on time. Well, that's where Davo comes in. Davo puts sales tax on autopilot for restaurants. Davo uses sales tax data from your point of sale system to set aside the exact amount of sales tax you collect every single day and then files it and pays it when it's due on time for your restaurant every month. Davo takes just five minutes to set up, and once it's up and running, you never have to worry about paying sales tax again. Davo costs $49.99 per POS connection per month, and your restaurant can try Davo for the first 30 days free. Davo was created by a successful restaurant chef and owner who knows what's important for your operation. Time is money, and you've got more important things to focus on, like pleasing your guests. You can't put a price on peace of mind. Why not try Davo for the first 30 days at DavoSalesTax.com? I would call that a marketing hook, you know? Yeah. I think that drives new business. I think that drives repeat business. I think that drives, you know, the mission of the company to solve the problem. It's like, I love that. That is just, that's, that's beautiful thing. That, that, that's definitely a, a hook for sure. Um, let's talk about the vibe of the concept. When you walk into a typical Tacos for Life, are they all funky and different? Are they pretty much standardized in look? Do the franchisees have any sort of a 
autonomy to decorate it as they choose, provided it doesn't deviate too far. Tell us about the, the vibe. Is it a standard vibe? Is it mixed? What's it like? Yeah. So we're very intentional with the environment. And mm-hmm. so, you know, our name is Tacos for Life, right? And so we always talk about, we want to be life-giving in what we do. And and that's fun. That's vibrant. That's yes, not, you know, we are fighting this problem that kids are dying from starvation, but you, you won't hear us talk about that all the time. And you won't see that in the restaurants, you know, because that's, that I don't, that's not necessarily as motivating. Right. Um, so we talk mm-hmm. about the, the change, you know, when a kid is able to eat and go to school, what that means. So you're going to see stories of kids that have been positively impacted. You're going to see uh, a lot of creativity and the fact of, you know, we use, um, we have light fixtures. Uh, one of the displays that we do is, is light fixtures that come from Haiti that are made there that we purchase them and they actually help support another organization. So they have a really cool nice. um, story behind them. We have a, it's called the basket wall, but these incredible baskets that are made in Uganda and um, they're, they're handmade. Um, they help support another uh, mission, you know, all those kind of things. But really the whole deal is what, what we want to drive back to is it's a very lively, uh, bright, life-giving environment. And uh, the decor is very intentional it's not um, it's not overwhelmed with a bunch of stuff, but it's very specific with bright colors and um, and we work very hard. We have an interior designer here on staff that you know she goes in and uh, she decorates every restaurant. She has it planned out in our in our warehouse, and I mean it's it's down to a science what she's going to do and and how she's going to do it and and how she's going to try to tell take that story. So if you walk in for the first time, Roger, we want you to start getting pieces of it to the point of where you could, if nobody talks to you, which that would not be good, but if nobody talks to you, you would be able to put the story together and understand what's going on. That's well thought through for sure. Let's talk about, you You started to talk about, you got a great staff and a great team. And obviously now it's not just the restaurant location team we're talking about. It's sort of a corporate structure team, obviously people in charge of different things. You just mentioned you've got an interior designer, um, but let's talk about the team and the labor crisis that everyone's having. First of all, is that impacting your company at all? Um, are they yeah, it, it, struggling to find no. staff in any locations? Is it somehow working itself out? It's it certainly had its kind of peaks and valleys, you know, mm. and we've we've ridden several different waves of that. Um, I would say right now we're in a pretty good spot and our teams have done a, a good job. And and the thing again, what we really did you know, we can't compete with, you know, Costco right down the street that's going to offer $4 more an hour, you know, for a, of course, perhaps an easier job, you know? Yeah. No um, so, uh, so our team worked really hard on um, really trying to live up to the brand promise of a fun environment, you know, um, a life-giving environment, a, a place where they get to help make a difference, you know, they're reminded of that. And then food mm-hmm. service is fun, right? It's, it it's hard work, but oh, yeah. it's fun. And it's a chemistry so, amongst the people. You know, if you're a restaurant yes. person, you fit or you don't fit. And those that fit, I mean, develop incredible friendships and the teamwork and the camaraderie and the spirit and all of that. And yes, everyone works for a paycheck, but recognition and rewards and feeling like you're part of something especially in terms of, you know, the mission that you're moving forward. I mean, that's a whole nother piece to it, but yeah, you know, I mean, we obviously have all felt that and our audience knows that when you've got a dream team staff, there's nothing better. And it is a foundational element that results in the end guest experience, you know, and if there's a well-dialed restaurant with a happy team, that's having fun, then the customers, the guests are having more fun. You can just tell when something's working or when it's not, you know? Yeah. 
And that's, that's exactly, you know, when for us here in Arkansas on our corporate restaurants, when the staffing challenges got at the worst, you know, and, and the questions were, well, should we do signing bonuses or should we raise how much we're paying? And we want to be a competitive, we, we, we want to pay people better than anybody else, but we do have our limitations. We're a of small uh, organization, right? Yep. But, but the team really, really, we, I kept reminding the team, guys, let's be who we are and let's not. Uh, let's let's make sure that gets seen when we're interviewing people and as we onboard people that they're getting welcome in, into who we are because we know once they get here they're going to love it you know and so we felt like and that would be my challenge to anybody is is you know lean on who you are and recruit out of that and not try to be you know the what the guy next door is doing and and certainly don't compete on the dollar because I don't think that's it's not what it's all about it matters but it's it's not the the end all you know. You've certainly built a brand and there are multiple profit centers. You have a catering side to the business too. And obviously this, this food lends itself well to catering. Mm-hmm. Do you sell retail merchandise, maybe with a mission printed on the back or just the logo of the company? Or, you know, you mentioned the bright colors and all that kind of stuff. Is that part yeah. of the model also? Do you have retail merchandise for sale in stores? Yeah, we do. Uh, we do t-shirts. We sell, we sell t-shirts. Uh, and uh, we. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things we uh, we don't really sell them at much of a markup we just uh we just try to move them you know so they're pretty low cost i think right now they're the ones we have on the shelves are like 14 dollars or something That's they're totally cheap you reasonable. know but yeah but they're high quality shirts um mm-hmm. but it's like man if someone's willing to you know pay us money to wear a tacos for life message around like we'll do it all day long. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's just incredible. We sell hot sauce, uh, from a retail standpoint, and that's been really fun. Awesome. And, uh, I probably give away just as much as we sell though, because I, I to me, I, I love to bless people with a bottle of hot sauce. There's nothing better. Right. Um, but I think it's great when you can get that out there and get your name, you know, in people's uh, refrigerator. Right. Absolutely. You know, thanks for mentioning that because there are so many restaurants out there that are running restaurants, but they're not building brands and building a brand, whether you expand to a franchise, whether you expand to multiple locations, or you just stay one single independent location, you can still create a brand. You can still train your staff to become brand ambassadors for your business and create a whole vibe around what you're offering because that's a competitive advantage. And not everybody does that, but I do believe that everyone could you know, create merchandise for sale and charge a you know a nominal amount for it, but it is free advertising. People are wearing your stuff around the hot sauce. It's just one more reason to stay top of mind with your end consumer and to bring them back into the restaurant and just like I say, create raving fans for your business. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. Let's talk about the menu. Now, besides tacos, you have salads and you have boxes and you have well, you tell us you're the expert. Yeah. What's yeah. the menu all so- about? Yeah, we have 14 tacos on the menu and and we range from your traditional like with fajita chicken taco for instance to yeah. uh like a Korean barbecue steak taco. So the wow. the taco menu runs this range of uh you know your traditional to your more adventurous items. Uh-huh. And then we we have salads like you mentioned, rice bowls, quesadillas. Uh we sell a lot of bowls, a lot of quesadillas. And, um, and then we do, like you mentioned, a lot of catering. So we have, uh, that starts from the family pack size, um, you know, for a family of four, all the way up to, you know, caterings for thousands of people, uh, from like a self-service taco bar. So the, the, that's been one of the probably hidden blessings out of COVID was, uh, we had a strong catering business going into this, but it allowed us to really kind of step back and add some more options to the catering. 
um, line that, that are really, especially our drug reps were wanting. Mm. And we were a little bit resistant to doing because, well, that wasn't us, but you know, when, when the world changes and you, uh, don't have to be yourself anymore, you can, uh, you can rethink some of those things that really weren't that important, you know? So yeah. we started doing box lunches and, um, we do tacos by the dozen and that sort of stuff. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's a great, great offering. Let's talk about supply chain issues. Has that affected the company and limited availability of certain things that your customers have come to expect and rising prices? And I mean, this has affected much of our business, but how much has it impacted your company? Yeah, it's it's been a challenge for sure. Uh, one of our guys here, he he always jokes, he's afraid to open his email because every time he does, there's something else that you know uh, we're being told we can't get. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been, our goal has been, let's just not run out. And so we have, uh, we've scrambled, we've paid more than we should have. Um, and we've, we've spent a lot of time on phones and emails and driving to places even to pick up stuff. But, um, I think it's getting a little bit better. Uh, the cost side is not, uh, we're, but we're seeing some of the challenges before that we were experiencing, you know, last year at this time, mm-hmm. uh, six months ago, uh, are easing up a little bit. Um, and it's also opening up the opportunity to bring some of the, some of the items like our cups, paperware products, uh, trying to bring some of that back domestically, you know, because of the, um, you know, just the, the challenges of shipping from Asia over here oh, is yes. such a difficult thing. It's really creating some opportunities. So that's, that's good to be able to bring things back to here, you know, back to the U S build to do uh, support manufacturing here. So, um, it's certainly been a challenge, um, as it is, I'm sure for anybody who's been listening, uh, but I think it's getting a little bit easier. We're just ready for the cost side to start going down a little bit, but that might be a ways away. So I don't know. Well, that leads to my next question. I mean, uh, obviously with margins shrinking, have you had to adjust prices and have you done it more than once over the last year and a half or so? Yeah. So I, I hate raising menu prices. I really do. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things, um, that, that, you know, I, I'm very frugal with my money. And so I, I've, I feel that empathy for our guests. I always resist, but yeah, we have, we're traditionally, we maybe raise prices once a year, once every um, 18 months. Um, We have uh, in the past year, we've raised prices twice and we're about to do another round again. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and this, this next one will be more incremental. It'll be a smaller, but the reality of it is uh, you know, just like everybody else, the amount that we're raising prices for is only taking a, a, a chunk out of the loss of margin that we've experienced through labor it's not and food keeping up prices yeah. now. Right. And you have to have sensitivity, obviously, to the end consumer because there's only so much the market will bear. There's only so mm-hmm. much value that they continue to receive for what they're paying, you know, and, and that's a fine balance for every consumer. Communication and transparency are pretty important um, when these types of things happen. And obviously, when the pandemic hit and everything went sideways, and then we tried to obviously communicate safety practices and what we're doing to keep you obviously safe from um, getting COVID and all the sanitation. I mean, that was one shift so long ago. And then we had to communicate the next thing, what we're doing. And then, you know, the government shut us down and we can't serve inside anymore. And now we're doing just takeout and delivering. You've probably been through some of that because I know that you've got some dine-in stores, obviously. But now that the pricing thing and the supply chain um, and the labor shortage and, you know, lots of restaurants maybe yours are not affected by this. I didn't ask you, but um, restaurants are closing. Demand is back. Restaurants are busy again. 
but a lot of restaurants have to close hours, close days because they just can't staff it. And they're losing revenue from that when there'd be a time they'd be making money to pay for all this increase. So it's just, you know, it's been a perfect storm. Has yeah. that affected you? And, and how have you communicated those things to your, to your guests exactly? Is, has there been a level of transparency about pricing and about labor issues and about thank you so much for your support? And we just want you to know that your business is helping us to continue to do what we do and to continue to fund the mission. And, you know, but yeah. we're unfortunately under these situations that are out of our control. Um, yeah. Tell me about that. I mean, how did you market yeah. to your consumer, talk to your guests, that sort of thing? Well, you know, we, we always try to communicate back to the consumer, back to our guests on uh, the impact that they're having with the no count. So if you're in our loyalty program, for instance, mm -hmm. you're going to get an email once a month from us that tells you how many meals you personally raised by yes. eating with us, which is pretty cool, right? That is, And I then like also that. how many meals we raised as an entire organization. Mm -hmm. So for that month. So we, we work hard and of course, we're doing stuff on social and, and sharing the meal counts. And when you come in, you see that. But, you know, the team, we all really committed early on when we started on this, um, really the staffing challenges of saying, okay, guys, it is our duty as restaurateurs to do everything within our power to uh, um, provide the guests exactly what they expect when they come in, you know, and I, and we're big proponents on we, the guests should not take a discount on us because we can't staff the restaurant or because we can't get something. So that was... That was one of our, it was kind of unspoken rules that we had as a team that we all, but we all committed to was guys, we got to, we're going to stay open. We're going to do, we're going to hire, we're going to work extra hours, whatever it takes. We're going to work hard to stay open. And, and with the exception of, with, with the exception of a few times, we were able to do that, you know, um, and, and didn't have to shut down or, or go to limited hours. Of course, we're closed on Sundays. So that really helps us out, Right. Um, we get that, we get that one day a week breather in there. Um, and then on the, on the supply side, that was, you know, Mike, uh, who, who hands, handles our supply chain here. That was a commitment he made is like, guys, I'm going to keep us from running out, make sure we communicate, you know, internally as a team, we're communicating and, and we did a pretty good job and we we're just very, I mean, it was the team worked really hard to try to keep those two things uh, you know, be able to keep that commitment to the guests because at the end of the day, like you said, um, the whole world is getting more expensive. And um, when somebody chooses to come to eat with us, I take that as a large honor, especially now when the dollar doesn't go as far as it did maybe you know a year ago. Absolutely true. And obviously everyone's complaining about rising gas prices and you know, a lot of families have to cut somewhere and you hope it's not the dine out dollar, but it is impacting everything. And you know, people are just having the inflation thing. I mean, the, yeah, the economy's going crazy, the world is going crazy, and Margins are shrinking. I mean, it's a difficult business. Yeah. But again, you you haven't lost your passion for the business. It's clear to me that you clearly enjoy what you do. And Ashton must be enjoying what she does too. Let me ask you about new menu items. How often do you roll out new menu items? And what's that R&D process like? Is she very much involved in that? Do you encourage your franchisees to come up with new ideas? Do you allow them to come up with new ideas? How does all that work? Yeah, well, yes, to all the above. So hmm. we pre-COVID, we did, you know, seasonal menus and that's what, uh -huh. you know, we had roll those onto the menu if they did well. And uh, now we're just, we're just now uh, on Memorial Day, we're going to get back into that first launch. So we'll do uh, uh, for summertime, we've got a firecracker shrimp taco uh, that wow. will go out awesome. and a watermelon strawberry punch uh, that'll go <laughs> with it. And uh, very excited about those two items. And 
we'll do another uh, couple items in the fall and then again in the winter and, and kind of we're, we're working our way back to that consistent uh, schedule. And so uh, we, we love doing that. And, and Ashton is very creative. Um, I like to create. So, you know, that's, that's probably one of our things that we had to learn very early on, you know, going back to the whole franchising thing, we used to do new menu items constantly. And you can do it with one, two, three restaurants, you know, four restaurants even because Ashton could go and, and, and train everybody and, you know, verify that it was all working. And, uh, you know, but we've learned uh, uh, over time uh, that, you know, there's a tremendous amount of, uh, of, of um, brain space, you know, that takes from the operator when we're uh, constantly rolling. And some concepts have it dialed in uh, and, and do it tremendously well. We really had to learn, okay, we're, we're going to have to back up just a little bit on this. And that was one of the learnings kind of coming through COVID, being able to pull that, that pressure off of our folks. Uh, but we're excited to be getting back into it. Um, and, and getting rolling. So yeah, we get, we get suggestions. Um, we, we're a very, you know, we're still a small company. So, uh, we talk all of our franchisees, we have a, uh, round table conversation, the second and fourth Thursday of the month. And, uh, it's pretty much always hundred percent attended and we, ideas are tossed out then we, we ask for suggestions, not just on the menu, but on anything. And so it's, it, it's fun. We love to, we love to throw ideas up on the wall and see what sticks around here. How about necessary technology in the stores themselves? I mean, obviously the pandemic has forced us to all go to online ordering and all that sort of thing. And beyond a POS system, is there anything else that you use to keep your operation more efficient? Yeah, I think that was, you know, probably been one of the other elements I would have mentioned before that's that's helped us from a competitive standpoint um, is we, my brother is a software developer and he, uh, he very early on just built us a really simple dashboard so that we could track how many meals we raised. Mm-hmm. And then it turned into, hey, I want to be able to track our labor and I want to be able to uh, create a labor budget in this. And then, oh, I want to be able to manage my food costs. And, Excellent. and, and he's, we've actually developed all of our own internal softwares uh, for uh, food cost management and um, labor management. We, we use a labor scheduling software, seven mm-hmm. shifts, Okay, but uh, they talk together and, and work together, works with the POS. And uh, we've awesome. really developed um, all of our technology is centered around, we call it, it's called Hawkeye. That's the program that we have. Um, and that's really kind of the, um, the hub and, and all the, all the different pieces come in and out of that. Um, so it, it really, um, we have more data than we know what to do with, but it allows us to put it in a, in an environment where it's normalized, it's consistent, and, uh, it allows us to track things so that we can be successful. So how big is a typical store square footage wise? Yeah. So, uh, 3000 to 4,000 square feet. We really, we only have one that's 3000. So the average would probably be 3,800 square feet. Those are not small um, stores. <laughs> no, most of them have drive-throughs. Yeah, and all the new, uh, all the new prototypical standalones have a pickup door as well. So mm-hmm. uh, if you place an online order, you know yeah. we have curbside as an option, but we also have a walk-in pickup door, uh, grab it, and then a drive-through window, and then you know anywhere from you know 90 to 120 seats in the restaurant. I was going to ask you that next. Wow, that's yeah. a good size operation. So. But it's still sort of a fast, casual concept, even though it yeah. is dine-in. And obviously, the, the preparation is quick because you got the drive-through windows and all that. Yeah. Is it a single window? Is it multiple windows? Does each store vary? Yeah, so that's that's one of those things where you watch Chick-fil-A and just try to figure out what they've uh, already mastered and, and try to follow. Yeah. And so 
it's a single window right now, but I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of opportunity of growth in, in that whole world. Uh, you know, pre-pandemic, the the drop-through window is just kind of like, you know, we felt like it was a good thing to have, but it was a little bit of an afterthought of such a low percentage of our sales. Like I said earlier, we we like people to come in and eat at our restaurants, eat inside because we put yeah, a lot definitely. of effort into the environment. Right. And um, so, but now uh, that shifted and although mm-hmm. dining business is back and strong again, uh, the to-go side didn't drop off. So we've learned, um, you know, so we are a fast casual. So you come and order at the counter and we bring the food to you. But, you know, in the drive-through, you've got to move the drive-through. You've got to get people through. Uh, so it's a it's a, a really, you know, unique mix of uh, trying to offer a lot of service on the dining side, but then on the drive-through, be able to make it very convenient for the mom trying to get to soccer practice. Well, I believe that's cross-marketing as well, because I think people in the drive-through will come and sit down when they're not pressed for time. And then when they are pressed for time, somebody might come into the restaurant as a sit-down, see it's a drive-through and say, oh, wow, I got a few minutes I'm going to get... So I think it works out well, and and you know you're you're just serving your guests better having both options. Tremendous. Well, this has been a this has been an awesome story and an awesome journey, Austin. Thanks for sharing everything with us. Last question: Do you have any advice to operators on you know if they've got a single location, how they can expand to another one and maintain consistency? If it's across town, even if it's another state, it's like that's a that's a challenge going from one to two and from two to four and from there and you know what would what would you say to people that are thinking you know what i've got something here i'm really busy in my first location like you said i see this as being more than just one location what would you say to people yeah i think it goes back to document create the processes write down the procedures and um and and start there and it doesn't have to be pretty i mean for us it it all started in word documents and excel sheets you know Mm -hmm. and Yep. And and now some of it still is there, but a lot of it's Nothing in, you know, fancier programs. But yeah. uh, I think it, it's got to start there. It's got to, the, the other piece too is um, the unit economics piece, you know, of making sure, hey, is, is this a, if, if you are um, like with the pizza restaurant and we even, even when we had the pizza restaurant and it wasn't making money, me being the kind of person that wanted to have more than one restaurant was like, well, we can open another one and that one will do better. Well, that's probably that's probably not the right way to take it. And fortunately, um, fortunately, I had some people in my life that were, uh, I guess, smarter than me, but, you know, helped uh, counsel that out of me. But um, I think that's just so important um, because, you know, when you're when you're spread out, it, it changes, you know, the dynamics change. So, well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us and for your mission. Feed my starving children. What a tremendous, um, obviously, organization that must be And like I said, you've made a tremendous impact and you continue to do that. And you can, it, that must be so gratifying. And it's uh, not just a company that's doing well, but it's a company that's doing good. So thanks for being a great guest on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Okay, audience. Thanks again for tuning in. We appreciate you listening and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you, Austin. Food service and giving back to the world is such a noble cause, and we learned so much about why your brand is moving forward at such a quick pace, and we wish you all the best of success in the future. Thanks to our sponsors of this week's episode, Pop Menu, Smithfield Culinary, Devo, and Serve, the restaurant staff training app at srvnow.com. Thanks again for being with us. We can't wait to see you next time. Stay tuned and stay well. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. 
This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's a treacherous road, and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy, and I'll show you how it's done. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.